Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. I don't know what your life has brought you to to this point, but I know that you're here and you need to know this, that at the name of Jesus, things change. That the name of Jesus, storms calm. At the name of Jesus, sickness flees. At the name of Jesus, demons flee. Last year, walking downtown, encountering a guy that was demon-possessed, he kept looking at me and saying, who are you? He wanted to know my name. I kept saying, no, you don't get my name, but this is the name you get. In the name of Jesus, get out. And guess what? That demon, those demons, seven demons came out of that man. At the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, Father, I pray right now for your church. Lord, there is a slew of there is a slew of, uh, of different backgrounds. There's a slew of, of, of different needs brought to you this morning. And Lord Jesus, you are the answer to every one of those needs, whether it be financial, whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, whether it be heartbreak, whatever it is, Lord Jesus, you are the answer. And Lord, I pray in your mighty name, Jesus, that you will show up. I pray that in your mighty name, Jesus, that not one heart walks out of here the same. Lord, that we are so pricked by the presence and, 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 and the power of God that we can't go on the same way. way. That whatever we walked in here caring, that we walk out free. Jesus, your name brings freedom. Your name brings joy. Your name brings peace. Your name brings it. Because there's all power and authority in your name. At the name of Jesus, Lord, have your way today. Have your way today. Have your way today. Have your way today. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've already done a work. You've started the work. That demons are already running. That peace is already setting in. That joy is already overcoming. That depression, Lord Jesus, that, 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 that healing is already moving through bodies. Now, Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, the sword of the spirit, that it will cut off everything that remains that needs to be in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will flow through me that I might speak your word. Lord, let me rightly divide it. I, I need your help, Holy Spirit. Your word's so anointed, my words are not. I need your help, Holy Spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, it's so interesting. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in the motion in the motion of just singing songs on a Sunday morning. And, and I'm not saying we're going through the motions, but, you know, 
How many of you guys gone to church in, in some form or another, you sang and then you preached? Right? That was, you know, little things in and out. But like those two main things, like may, no, we'll throw a third, third one, a response. Sang, preached, and a response. That was that's pretty much the format of a Sunday service, correct? Like once, once you get going, it's you sing your songs, you preach your word. But what I never want us to ever go through the motions. And I was telling the worship team this morning as I was just praying over the message. And I, was, I like to sit in here while they, I love to sit in here and walk while they practice. Because um, our worship team worships. And in the Old Testament, what would happen is the worshipers would go out carrying the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, on their shoulders. They would be blowing horns and they would be worshiping. And what that would do, I mean, there's so many things that would do. But psychologically, they would defeat their enemies before the sword was ever swung. They would be declaring the presence of God. They would be declaring the glory of God on earth. They would be declaring the goodness of God and worshiping God as they're marching to go off to war. Before the army was ever lined up to swing, guess what the enemy heard? They heard the praise. And when we praise, <laughs> our, our, our enemies are already thoroughly defeated. But when we praise as a church, we are reminding him that you are defeated, that you are, you are utterly and thoroughly defeated in Jesus' name, and that we can go in victory. I think sometimes we just need to praise ourselves out of a situation. I think sometimes we've got to remind ourselves that that's how God went into battle with worship. That's how he fought battles. And there are so many times throughout the Old Testament that it got to the point where they would just go in with the worship and the, the presence of God, and there would be hundreds of thousands of army uh, in, in the enemy's army. And the, ar the army of Israel never even had to swing a sword. The, ar the, the enemy would just destroy himself because the Lord worked. That's the power of worship, and, and, and it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. That's what you do when you worship God. You're, you're fighting. You're not just glorifying God. You might not even be thinking about your situations, but when you are, when you are worshiping God Almighty, you are defeating, reminding a defeated enemy that he's th thoroughly defeated. You might not even have to pray. <laughs> God might just switch it in that one moment. And I'm, I'm, we, are, we are blessed to have a worship team that worships. Um, we are. They don't go through the motions, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. Today, we are continuing in our series called Jesus is Greater. Um, everything. He's greater than anything. He's so much better than anything this world has to offer. And we're continuing in chapter, we're, we're picking up in um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 39. And you might, hey, wait a second. What, what happened to 1 through, 1 through 18? So, 1 through 18 is almost copy and paste what we went through last week. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't mind preaching that same message again. There was this pastor that um, he, he got voted into a church, and he came and preached a fiery message the day that he got voted in. 
And everyone was like, yeah. The next week he preached the same exact message. And everyone's like, yeah. And then the next week he preached the same exact message. And everyone was like, okay, cool. And then the fourth week, he preached the same exact message. And finally, the board was like, Pastor, like, what the heck? <laughs> like, do you, is, like we've, we heard you preach. Is that the only message you have? He's like, no, I have a ton of them. But he's like, I'm just not going to preach a new one until I see you live out the last one. <laughs> oh, come on. No, uh, I... I feel like we need to pick up right here. Um, with that said, I'm going to tell you another joke. There is this guy who was um, out riding a horse, his horse, and and he, his dog was with him. And this this rural community, and uh, a truck ran a ran a stop sign, hit him, hit his dog, hit his horse. All of them broke a leg. The dog, the man, the horse. And, um, well, he had, he, he was in the right, he, he's, he sued this other person. And so the attorney, the first attorney walked up and, um, after this situation and they're in court and everything and, um, the defendant's attorney says, sir, you said on the day to the officer, that it was the best day you ever lived and that you've never felt better. Do you stand by those remarks? You know? And the, the defendant's like, yeah, I, I did say that to the officer. I, I did say that this was the best day. And this is the guy that broke a leg, that his horse broke a leg and dog broke a leg. He's like, yeah, I, I did say that to the officer. He's like, okay. You know, I, I rest my case, you know? And so... The, his attorney walks up and says, could you, give, could you give the circumstances around that statement? He's like, oh, yeah, I would love to share the circumstances around that statement. The responding officer that pulled up to the, uh, the, the scene of the accident walked up and he saw my dog that it had a horrible broken leg and that it was hurting so bad, so he walked up and just shot it and killed it. To put, it out, to, to put it out of his misery, it was hurting so bad. He, he realized, like, this dog is as good as dead. And then he walked up to my horse and saw that it had a broken leg. And if you know anything about horses, when they break their leg, I mean, like, they're, like you, you, just, you put them out to pastures, like, or you turn them into glue. I don't know. In France, they eat them. So he walks up, he sees a horse, and he's like, man, this horse, will, he's just, like, horrible pain, got hit. I mean, just... Walks up, puts a horse out of its misery, shoots it. And he walks up to me. I'm laying there with a broken hip, a broken hip, broken leg, just like my dog and my horse. And he's like, how are you feeling? And he, I said, I've never had a better day. I've never felt better. <laughs> you know? Oh, come on. That's stupid, Ryan. Why would you say that? I don't know. I don't know. So we're going to jump right in. To verse 19, and it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can hold, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. 
So what is he saying? He's saying he opened the presence of God to us. That's what the author's saying. Because of Jesus, God opened the presence of God to us. What would kill people in the Old Testament, we now have free access to because of his blood. And since, in verse 21, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, everyone, let's say this together, let us. Don't worry, none of you guys are going to want a salad after this. But there's a lot of lettuce in this. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Last week we talked about how Jesus completely cleanses our consciousness, and then he also completely frees us from condemnation. He's building off of that. And then verse 23, let's, let's say it again. Let us. Hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. You guys ever stood on a promise of God? Yeah? Well, he's going to keep them. He does. Verse 24, let's say it together. Let us. Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So, some translations, as you read this on your own, might say, let us spur one another to love and good works. I like that word, spur. And verse 25, let's say it, and let us. Not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. Man, this was written 2,000 years ago. You think he's closer to coming back? Like, don't all answer at once. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. He's going to rapture his church. And then after seven years, he's going to split open the sky and he's going to establish a thousand year reign. You ever wonder why he's going to establish a thousand years reign before he just destroys everything and remakes it? I have a theory. This, this is just my theory. It's because the average life cycle of an empire is about four to five hundred years. If an empire lasts five hundred years, they're doing great. But as you can see, we're about not even at our tricentennial, and we're already falling apart because you just it doesn't. So Jesus is going to show up, and he's just going to blow it out of the water. He's going to, he's going to double it or quadruple the average lifespan and saying, hey, this is how you reign on the earth. And he's going to show people, like, this is how you reign because he's the king of all kings. He's coming back. And it's drawing near, so let us encourage each other. And then he gets into this, and this is heavy, and we've referenced it. And he's hit on this earlier in the book, but this is heavy. And this is sobering. Dear friends, verse 26, if we deliberately continue 
sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. What does deliberate mean? You choose. You're consciously choosing to continue to live a certain way. After receiving the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And the law of Moses was confirmed with the blood of animals. So 29 says, Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled the Son of God, trampled on the Son of God, and have treated the blood, His blood, of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. Verse 31. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We need, in the church today, in the United States, a resurgence of the awe and fear of God. We've gotten so lax and we've preached grace and mercy so much that there's no change anymore. There is judgment coming, and I'm not a hell and brimstone preacher. It's grace and truth. There's a reality that awaits us all after death, and it's called eternity. And how we spend it is completely dependent on our decision whether we kneel before God and make him Lord. And we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he died on the cross and he rose again. If we refuse to do that now, the only reality that waits for us after death is hell. And eternity, I think we sometimes think of it as a, a time frame. But I want you to think more of eternity like this. Eternity would be better understood in this context as the condition of which we will exist. When you think of it in those terms, eternal glory or eternal punishment, it's, it's the condition of how we exist forever. Let's keep going. 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. 
Now, he's talking to a church that's being persecuted. He's talking to a church that is actively being hunted by the government. He's talking to a church that was bringing, being brought out to, you know, we have carnivals and we have rides and everything. You know what the carnival was back then? It was being thrown into a coliseum full of lions for spectate and sport. They would be brought to the carnival and be ate alive. Or, or Nero, Emperor Nero at the time, he would dip Christians alive in oil, hook them, and then light his garden with Christians. And he, that's what they used for lights in Rome. During, Nero was crazy. If you look it up, Nero was completely crazy. Also, Emperor Caligula, he was also completely insane. But that's what they did to Christians. And so when he's writing this, He's not just writing to like, oh man, they made fun of you for saying you're a Christian? Oh my goodness. Oh, did they threaten to fire you? No, firing back then meant something completely different. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail and when all you owned were taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now. So that you will continue to do God's will. All of us want to do God's will. I believe that. If you're in Christ, like you have this desire. Like if you ask any Christian, like, yeah, I want to do God's will. How do you do God's will? You do it through enduring patiently. That, and, and endurance is only required when there is a test or a trial. You don't need endurance when there's not. You need endurance when you're running a race. You need endurance when you're doing things for a long period of time. You need endurance. But not just any endurance, patient endurance. That means you're going to wait on God to show up as your enduring trial. And that's how you do God's will. So that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. The conditions... For the promise of God are dependent on how we endure. If you give up ahead of time, you won't, re you won't receive what God gets. That's why Paul says, don't grow weary in well-doing, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And I think so many of us are right around the corner from what God has promised, and we're so close to receiving it, and yet it's so tempting to give up. I've been doing this for so long. I've been praying for that grandchild or that child for so long, and there's nothing happening. I've been praying against the sickness for so long, and we're and, and, and God saying keep going patient endurance for in just a little while the coming one that's Jesus will come and not delay and my righteous ones will live by faith but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away 39 but we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction we are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. 
Whew, man, this is, this is some good stuff right here. The last three chapters, the author of Hebrews has pounded this thought over and over and over to the point where I was wrestling with how do I preach this because it seems to be saying the same thing. Like, but I'm like, Lord, I need fresh revelation because I know there's something here and I don't want to preach the same thing over and over. But he, he takes three chapters, seven and a half to ten and a half, to establish this one mandate. Jesus is such an amazing high priest that he completely made a new covenant with us, that his salvation that he offers is so powerful, so merciful, so extravagant, so graceful, so amazing, that it completely not just changes us, but it makes us a new creation. It makes us born again of the Spirit. He hits us over and over that we have such an amazing high priest that's so much better than anything this world has to offer. It's so much better than the old way of worship. You can't earn it. You can't go through any motion to get it. It's all on him. And he hits us time and again and time and again and time and again. He's pounding it. That our high priest offers a better salvation. That Jesus is greater than this world has to offer. Anything this world has to offer. Then we step into this area in chapter 10. And he builds this for three chapters and he leads to this point. And he's saying, now that you know about salvation and what it cost Jesus and what he's doing currently in heaven and that everything's under his feet, what do you do with it? What do you do with the salvation now that you know about it? The title of my message today is The Choice is Yours. He gives us five options, four of which are great options, one of which is a horrible com uh, consequence. If you choose it, there's, there's dire consequences. But there's five options that he gives us here. What do we do with salvation? The choice is yours. That's the beauty of God. He never forces you to do things. Like I've seen demon-possessed people and they are forced to do things in their body. They harm themselves. They cut themselves. They, they do things that they can't control. Like I literally saw a guy lift himself up off the ground. He was laying on his back, on the back of his hands and his heels, and nothing was touching. I'm like, I don't know how he's doing that. I'm like, dude, you have a great trainer. No, he was possessed. These demons were causing him to do things. They were forcing him to do things. He started undressing himself. I'm like, nope, not in public. I'm not getting caught up. Like, that would be my luck to get arrested with a naked guy running around the demon possessed. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He doesn't force anything on us. He leads us to the decision. Here is how amazing salvation is. This is everything God does for you because he loves you. The only reason Jesus did this is for one reason. God loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. That's a, Jesus went through all this based on one thing, his love for you. What do you do with it then? He doesn't force you. He doesn't want you to feel guilty. He does want to change you. He wants to convict you so you don't carry things that you're not supposed to carry. He wants, to, wants you to walk in freedom. So what do you do? The choice is yours. The first choice we have to make. And he's given us some options here. He says, let us go right into 
The first choice is let us go right into. I didn't want to write the whole thing out, but I'm going to read it real quick. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So this let us, that we all said together, let's just say it again because it sounded so good. Mm, Come on. That will preach. Let us. This very statement implies a couple things. It implies a lot more, but I'm not saying read in between the lines that can get you in trouble, but at the same time, you got to look at what let us means. Number one, you're not alone. You're not alone in your walk with God. We need each other. Let us. If you feel alone, it's because, or it could be a number of reasons. Sometimes we just go through seasons where we feel alone. That is true. But you're not alone. The enemy wants you to feel like you're the only one going through what you're going through. I don't care what it is. When I, uh, you guys know, and I reference this, but when my mom passed away, I felt so alone. But know what I did? I called my friend, Randy Tosh. Guess what? He lost his mother too. And he knew what I was going through. And I got to talk with him about my feelings. Even though I still felt alone, I knew I wasn't alone. And we're not alone. Let us. The second thing it implies, it's an invitation. When I say, hey, let us go to the store. Let us. What does that imply to you? I want you to come with me, right? Let's go shoot guns. I want you to come with me. It's an invitation to come along. And so we're not alone, and we have this invitation to come along. But this let us, this first let us, I think is one of the most important. They're all very important. And I didn't put, I, I, I just put them in the same order the Bible does. But I don't think that's an order of importance. But this let us speaks to our identity more than all the others. Because when you think about what it's saying, let us go right into the presence of God. Who is God? Our Father, with sincere hearts fully trusting Him. Why, when I, when I read that, why can we enter into the presence of God? This would kill people in the Old Testament. Literally, they had a huge curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place in the temple. Because when they entered the presence of God, you had to be on guard. To the point where Israel, when they encountered God on Sinai... They told Moses, never let us experience that again. It terrified them. It terrified them. The presence of God is not anything that we should... It's it's kind of a conundrum. We need to be comfortable with it, but we don't need to disrespect it, if that makes sense. And he's saying, let us go into the presence of God, our Father, with sincere hearts, Fully trusting him. Why? Because we are cleansed of all guilt. It made me think about my kids. My kids, if I'm in this room, I don't care if all of you guys are in here. If I'm in this room, my kids will run around. I'm like, stop running. Go to run into someone. I'm like, but my kids have a comfort because I'm here. 
They, they fully trust that I have good intentions and they fully trust me that I won't let anything bad happen to them. So like there could be chaos going all around. There have been times where I've been at Walmart with my kids and I'm, I'm a watcher. Like I like to watch things and I've seen people that just creep me out. No one in here except you, Andy. No, I'm joking. So, sorry, stop it, stop it, stop it. I wasn't talking about you, I was talking about Phil. Um, I'm, stop it, dang it. Okay, I'm moving forward. But there are times where I see people that like just rub me the wrong way, but my kids are there. And I don't tell my kids what's going on, but they, they have full freedom. They're walking around, they're looking at toys, and I'm just watching. Because they trust me fully to protect them, to guard them, that dad won't let them, and they're oblivious to the things that's going on around them, even though I'm watching people like hawks, and like, and I'm such a poor example too. Like God is infinitely greater, so when we walk into His presence, He has nothing but good intentions for us. Why? Because we are His children. We are we are covered in the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? That means we're blood relatives. That means we are completely righteous. When God sees us in his throne room, it's like seeing my kids play in my living room. And you know when my kids don't want to come into the living room? It's when they know they've done something wrong. Like, think about it. Adam, Adam and Eve, what did they do? They hid. And God... What did God do? It's like, come on. He didn't condemn them. He actually, he killed. He was the first, he was the first person that killed in the Bible. And he made them clothes out of animal skin. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no removal of sin. He covered their sin. He didn't condemn them, but there are consequences. And and but with God now, he took all of that and put it on Jesus. So even when you mess up, you don't need to come and hide from God now. The Bible says in John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, that God is faithful and just to forgive us. When we sin, God is faithful and just. So we come straight to him. We don't have to come hiding, oh God, I'm so sorry. I know I disappointed you. I know I let you down. How many of you guys have ever said that to God? Oh God, I'm sorry I let you down. Well, guess what? You didn't. You didn't. Good news. You didn't. You've never let God down. Know why? You were never holding him up. You can't. <laughs> he holds you up. Take that pressure off of yourself. You didn't let him down. Or we feel like somehow we need to make it up to God. We get into that cycle we talked about last week. We, we get into a perpetual cycle of legalism, making things up to God. Stop. Just come to your Father. And, and what does He say? With sincere hearts. Man, He's my dad. And He loves me. Fully trusting that He has good intentions. Even when He disciplines you. It says God disciplines those he loves in this book in just a few chapters. Then we go into God, clean, God 
His blood cleanses you from all that guilt and all that shame and all that condemnation. We can enter as full-blood children to the presence of God. And we should. So go to God confidently, fully trusting Him. God has nothing but good intentions for you. We need to embrace this. We need to embrace how God sees us and walk that out. If you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. Period. End of story. The second let us is let us hold tightly. Let us hold tightly. I'm going to read it for you. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise, promises. This let us statement is different than all the other let us statements here. It's a different word in Greek. To us, it, it all looks the same. Lettuce. Uh, lettuce? I don't want a salad, Ryan. I'm a carnivore. Lettuce is what my food eats. That's right. But the Greek word used in this verse encapsulates let us hold tightly. It's all of it. And what it is is ketecho. Yeah, bless. I did not sneeze. To hold back, detain, retain from going away. To restrain, hinder the course or progress of that which hinders Antichrist from making his appearance. Are you seeing this? To check a ship's headway, to hold the ship, like to, to, to keep going in the path. To, to hold fast, keep secure, keep firm possession of. To get possession of, take, to possess. So when the author of Hebrews was pinning this and he sneezed, no, I mean, he said, he wrote, Ketecho, the audience would have understood this is what he's talking about. So the context of this completely changes in how we think. Because like, oh, let's hold tightly to the, the hope we affirm. Let's just hold on to our faith in Jesus. Let's hold on to our hope in Jesus. Absolutely do that. But this implies so much more when you, when we, the church, hold tightly to the hope we affirm in Christ. What does it do? It holds back the work of the Antichrist on earth. When we hold tightly, when we profess, when we grab a hold of what God has done in us and what he can do through us, it stops the work of the Antichrist. This is powerful, church. Like, well, let's just hold tightly without wavering. This is, this is such an important choice that we have to make day in and day out. I would almost say mandate. But the Holy Spirit, he invites us to do this. And it's so powerful when you hold without wavering to your walk with God, to your hope in Jesus it holds back the work of the enemy. You want to hold back the work of the enemy in your family? It's not just the Antichrist, you know, like what we read in Revelation about um, one day the Antichrist will show up. Yeah, it holds him back from making his appearance, but the, the spirit of Antichrist is everywhere. Anything that opposes the word of God, anything that opposes a person and the work of Jesus is Antichrist. 
And it's all over. It's, it, it manifests all over. It's all over. When we have churches that fully affirm gay marriage, when we have churches that are saying, oh, go get abortions, when we have churches that do these things, that's antichrist. And they're no more a Christian than a Hindu in India. I said it. That's the work of the Antichrist. Because guess what? They did not... <laughs> They did not hold without wavering to the hope that they affirmed. They quit believing the word of God. That's why it's so important that we, as a church, we hold firmly and hold back that tide. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back soon. And what is our response to that? We hold firmly and we profess Jesus to the world. He's the answer. It's not bending over to their desires. It's not going, oh, I'm, I, I don't want to offend anyone. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is offensive when we deliver it in truth and love. And man, if you're struggling with these things, man, God loves you. He loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And that course of life is going to lead to death. The wages of sin is death. The author of Hebrews was emphasizing the importance of faith and hope in Jesus. Church, don't give up. Don't stop trusting. God can be trusted to keep his promise. Hold without wavering. It makes a difference in our world. When you don't compromise in your family, when you don't compromise at work, when you don't compromise with friends, sometimes we just got to tell our friends, get lost. If they're pushing you away from Jesus, if they're bringing some antichrist crap into your life, you got to say, heck no. Thank you, Jesus. Let's get back to my notes real quick. Oh, I wrote that. <laughs> um, we can't keep our mouth shut, church. We can't just give up because things get hard. God keeps his promise. Now's the time not to waver. Hold tightly to your hope and let nothing distract, take, hurt, or harm it. The choice is yours. God never forces any of us to do these things. But the benefits of doing them are great and the consequences of forsaking them are great also. The next thing is let us spur each other to love and to good works. Let us spur. His, um, in the New Living Translation words it, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Some translations say spur. I, I actually like the words spur. Sometimes we need to be the person that does the spurring. And I think this is such a beautiful illustration because when a rider, have you guys ever rode a horse? Have you or any, ever seen like a horse ridden or anything like that? And well, if, if you have spurs, like if you've, have you ever, has anyone ever spurred a horse? Yeah. Well, like you didn't spur the horse, John, because you were mad at the horse, right? You spurred it because it wasn't, operating to its potential you like that that horse could do so much more than what it was willing to do 
And so it wasn't out of anger. It wasn't out of malice. It wasn't like you probably even liked the horse. Like it was, it was the spur. The spur is uncomfortable because you know what a spur is. It's like a little star that jabs the horse. It causes a little bit of pain, right? Gets it in the side. You know, even if you take your thumb and jab your rib, it's going to hurt. But you spur... When you spur, you never do it because you're frustrated. You, you, you do it because you love. Like that animal, that horse, has so much more to offer than what it's capable of. And when I've ridden or had to spur horses before, it, it's because I knew that the horse could go faster. I knew that it could do, or I saw that it was going in a wrong direction. Even though I'm pulling on the reins and the bit, it would not listen to the bit in its mouth. So I had to spur it to get its attention to go into a direction that wouldn't harm it or myself. Because guess what? I don't like getting smacked by branches because horses are clever, man. They, will, they know when you're on their back, and they will go under low-laying branches to smack you. And like, they will, man, at least the ones I have ridden. But like, you pull, and if they're not listening, you spur them to say, oh, hey, okay, I'm going this way. You do it because you love the animal. You do it because you want the animal to operate to the full potential. In the same way, we spur one another to love and good works. Because guess what? So often we get lazy in our faith. We, it's not even the fact that we're lazy. We just we get used to it. We get in routine. And in routine, there comes up the, the nuances of routine comes like a lack of enthusiasm and a lack of willing to do things. And we forget about the very mandates of, of, of our walk with God to share our faith. And so we spur one another to love. Acts of love. What is that? Man, I see that, that, that family needs help, so I'm going to go bring them dinner, or I'm going to buy them groceries, or I'm going to... That's acts of love. Or good works. I'm going to... Uh, hey, I'm going to go volunteer this week at so-and-so, or like, like the well. You want to come with me? That's spurring one another. Acts of love and good works. And as a, as a church congregation, we have a way to, I, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to spur you for a moment. Not spare you, spur you. Because I love you. And we, we have an opportunity this today, starting today, with this all-church fast. Maybe you haven't, like, I'm not going to do it this year. That's fine if you prayed about it and all that good stuff. But I would encourage you, fasting is a beautiful discipline. We don't fast to get things from God. I wanna, we fast to know God. We fast to get to know God. And a benefit and the side benefit of fasting if you're fasting food, you'll probably lose weight. That's the benefit of fasting. You just just happens. But maybe you're fasting social media. Maybe you're fasting things that have been consuming you for a long time and you need to lay them down to get your priorities straight. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. The point is to get closer to Jesus. And as you're fasting, you, as you make that sacrifice and you bring needs before the Lord, God shows up. I don't understand how it works. But there's something powerful about fasting. Even Jesus... He lived a life of prayer and fasting to the point where his disciples couldn't cast out a demon. And then Jesus shows up and is like, what's going on? And they're like, we can't cast it out. And, 
And they're like, he's like, you faithless and worthless generation. He cast out the demon. And later they're like, why couldn't we do it? We've cast out demons before, but this one wouldn't come out. Jesus says this, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Ironically, in that moment, Jesus didn't pray or fast. He just cast the demon out. So what does that tell you? He had discipline throughout his life of prayer and fasting. So let me encourage you. I... I'm inviting you to come along with me. Let us fast together. It's a way corporately to spur one another to faith and good works. I have three things that I'm going to be bringing up to God over the course of this for our church. I want to move with the Holy Spirit like we've never seen. A yielding to the Holy Spirit. Revival is the, the term even though I don't necessarily like the term, everyone knows what kind of revival means. And I'm praying for holistic growth. Numerical, spiritual, and, and, and financial growth. Why not? Let's get people the gospel. Let's get them charged up and sent out. And I'm praying for our nation. I don't know if you guys ever watched the news. I mean, I know you guys are so holy, you don't even have TVs. But... Our nation's hurting. This world's hurting. Jesus is coming back soon. We need to pray. And I'm going to be bringing these things. And I'm, 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 let me spur you. Join me these next 21 days. And if you have a need, I'd love to pray with you about that. But we're not fasting for that. We're fasting to know God. And the overflow, honestly, of knowing God is revival. The overflow of, of getting in to know God is sharing our faith. And the church is going to grow as we do this. It's going to grow holistically. Here's another simple spurring. Work Jesus into simple conversations. Just work him in. You don't have to have it all put together. Share what Jesus did for you. Share what Jesus has done in you. If someone, or here's another one. If someone brings up a need in their life, like, man, we're struggling. Well, you know, you might step in and say, hey, let me help you. But, or you could say, hey, can I pray with you about that? I can't tell you how many times I've prayed with people at the gym, at, at Walmart, and, and how grateful people are just as I talk to them. Like, yeah, my wife and I were, were whatever. And I'm like, hey, do you mind if we, we pray about that right here? And, and they're like, no, I, I don't mind. They're almost kind of like, really? Th thank you. Um, last night, last night I was at Target, and let me tell you, if you're ever in a mall with me, you need to keep me away from those AT&T Verizon people that have like the table set up, because I feel so bad. Like when they're like, hey, we have a deal for you. I'm like, oh, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'm like, I normally divert. I'm like, look at Amy. And she's like, no, thank you. We don't need anything. But she does it kindly. But just like that, like, I can't, I can't do it as, as gently as she does it. But she's like, don't talk to him, Ryan. We're getting in. And I'm like, but they're talking to me. I got to be nice. I don't, I, it just grinds against my soul. And evidently I have like, sucker written on my face because last night I'm right I'm pushing a cart through the toy section 
with a seven-year-old and a five-year-old in the cart, and they still got me to come talk to them. Like, that guy looks like he doesn't have his hands full. Let's talk to him. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so they just start asking me all these questions, and they're like, they said, do you ever travel? I'm like, I've been around the world. And the guy goes, um, well, thank you for your service. I'm like, no, I, I don't ever want to steal, steal that. Like, I was not in the military. I've been on missions trips um, for, for the church. And he goes, well, well seriously, thank, thank you for that, too. We need, we need that as well. And so judging from that statement, I'm like, well, <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> and so... I did not walk away with the new phone. I talked to them for 40 minutes, and I shared the gospel. And I told them, I told them this. I said, I know you guys have a job to do, but I love Jesus so much, and I believe that a relationship with Jesus is the only way to heaven. I truly believe that. And if I believe that, there's a responsibility. And I said, I also believe this, that there is a very real reality in hell away from Jesus. And I truly believe that. And I said, guys, how cruel would I have to be if I truly believe that Jesus is the way to heaven? And if I truly believe that eternity without Jesus is hell, how cruel do I have to be not to share my faith? That's above Hitler level. Cruel. I want you to understand that. Hitler stood by his convictions and he walked them out. Christians don't even do that. I'm not saying model your life after Hitler. I don't want to get misquoted here. I'm saying this, this tyrant did that and he killed started a world war that killed a third of the world's population because of his stupid convictions. And yet, we believe, we profess that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And we believe that there's a very real hell waiting for people that don't know him. And yet we keep our mouth shut. How cruel is that? I'm not trying to make people feel bad. I'm trying to spur us. It's cruel. If we believe, I heard an atheist once say, if I believe what Christians believed, I would crawl on my knees across all of Great Britain over glass to share the story of Christ. Because eternity is at stake. And we won't even be inconvenienced. Well, it's awkward. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to spur you. Sometimes we are the ones that need the spurring. If we're the ones that need the spurring, know this. Give people the benefit of the doubt. That when they spur you, they love you. And that they're trying to motivate you to good works and to acts of love. Don't be offended when someone spurs you to reach your potential. Your level of offendability is directly tied to your level of maturity. So if you're easily offended, you're very immature.
I know, that's heavy. That's, I wish I had like a puppy photo, so it just, think of a puppy real quick. Let's, let's, let's get, keep going. Let us not neglect. Let us not neglect. Hebrews says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. So we spur one another to acts of good love, uh, acts of love and good works. And now when we meet together, we encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need each other. We need each other, guys, to motivate and to encourage, especially now as the day of his return is drawing near. We are a body of many parts, and God wants to put his parts together. He wants us together. He didn't call us to be amputees. You know what he talks about? The, Bi- the Bible, Jesus says, my father's a gardener, and anyone who does not bear fruit, he'll cut off. God does cut off people that don't bear fruit. What fruit is that? Is it, it's the fruit of the Spirit. If there's no fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if there's none of that in your life, you're probably not a follower of Jesus. Because where there's no fruit, there's no root. And, and so he's saying, come together, encourage one another, help one another. We need each other. We need to do what we're doing right now. We need to get under the word of God. We need to be taught the word of God. And it's not just Sunday morning, though. It's like, are we checking on each other throughout the week? Are we meeting with each other? Are we texting each other? Are we calling each other? Are we, are we praying for one another? That's, that's that gathering together. We have ways to gather together now that they didn't even think of back then. But we need to be together. Here's the thing. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. This is, this is very pointed because a lot of us have, 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 like, the older you get, the smaller your friend group gets. But all these people who are young in this congregation, I need you to listen to me very quickly. Because you show me your friends, and this is probably the youth pastor of me coming out right now. So all you high schoolers, listen. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. My sister hung out with drug addicts. And guess what she became? A basketball player? No. She became a drug addict. She hung out with alcoholics. Guess what she became? An alcoholic. To the point where her friends drove up to the ER in the middle of winter, shoved her out the back, hit her head, gave her a concussion. The uh, nurse happened to go outside and saw her and drug her in. And the only way they knew to contact my parents was because there's only like a couple Tathams in the whole state of Arkansas. They grabbed this, there's this thing called a phone book and it has names in it. And that's how they looked. Know why? My, fr- my sister's friends were drug addicts alcoholics and that's what she became that was her future but then she got a job that had some Christian born again ladies on it she started hanging out with them and guess what here before long she was going to church and guess what? Here before long, she gave her heart back to Jesus. And guess what? Here before long, she, she, um, <laughs> she quit doing drugs. She quit drinking alcohol. And guess what? Here before long, she's leading a small group. 
And the Lord radically saved her. But she got around people that loved Jesus. She got around people that cared for her. Not what they could get from her. Paul says bad company corrupts good character. We need to be around people. We don't need to be oblivious to the world. We need to love the world. We need to share the... Uh, um, we need to... Love the people in the world. We need to share the gospel with people in the world. But we can't let them influence us. We are not of this world. We need each other. We live in community. That's the second thing we do at C1. We celebrate Jesus. We live in community. And this month, we're launching something that we haven't done. Like, since I've been here. We're, we're doing groups in, in the sense of men's and women's groups monthly we have another opportunity like i'm not saying this is the only community that you need i'm not saying that man if you have friends outside of here that are born again go gosh grab use that as much as you can i love it man we're one body but we have something offering this month is it the 18th what 19th women we have an opportunity for community. We have an opportunity to gather together and to be edified. Men, the last Sunday of the month, we have an opportunity. I put ours after the fast in so we can have a good time. <laughs> so, then the last thought I want to I want to hit with is if we deliberately. He says here, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only terrible expectation of God's judgment and raging fire that will consume his enemies. And then he goes on. I'm just going to go straight on to um, verse 31. He says, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The author is not talking about someone who is wrestling against their flesh and sins. He's not talking about Christians who are wrestling with their flesh. I want you to hear that because you're like, oh, crud. Oh, man, I still sin. Oh, oh, I'm so messed up. I'm messed over. No, he's not talking about you. The, pr the proof, if you're wrestling with your flesh, that's proof that the Holy Spirit's working with you and working on you. That's proof. He's not talking about that. Because until we die and we get a new body, we are going to wrestle against sin. And even now and then, we might even deliberately choose to sin. But it's not a lifestyle. So what is the author talking about? Here is a person who hears the gospel message. They received the knowledge of the truth. But instead of repenting and making Jesus Lord of their life, they say, I think I like my life. I think I want to stay king. Or here is the person who did choose to go after Jesus. Then after some life hit them, they had some experience, they had a bad time, they had a bad season. They just didn't want to fight against their flesh anymore. That's the walk of the Christian. We fight against our flesh. We battle we, we, Jesus said, you got to pick up your cross daily, die to yourself daily if you want to be my disciple. That's our walk until we're, we are glorified, which is death. <laughs> we fight our flesh. But these people, just they're so sick of fighting their flesh. They give up and they give in. 
They've heard the truth. They even blocked out the truth. They decided not to live for Jesus anymore. The author, what he's saying is there's nothing left for them to turn to. If you've accepted Jesus and you've walked away from Jesus and you're living for yourself, there's nothing left for you to turn to that will take away your guilt, that will take away your pain. You could try. Sex might do it for a season. Drugs might do it for a season. But all that does is numb you. It doesn't cleanse you. There's nothing left after Jesus. It's it. Jesus is the end. He's the only thing that can remove sin. They aren't going to find something greater than Jesus' blood. All these people who have heard the truth and denied it, or who have walked with it and then turned away, all these people have in front of them is the terrible expectation of God's judgment. The Bible says it is for a man to die then face judgment. We're all going to face it, but the difference is if you're in Christ, you, you can say, Jesus covered my blood. I plead Jesus. And he's like, you're innocent. What a way to end a message. Like, just horrible news. Gosh, there's just, like, let, let's just, let's just, let me read this again. All these people have in front of them is terrible expectation of God's judgment. Let's pray. No, the good news, the good news is maybe you're here or you're watching and (laughs) that describes you. God still loves you. The Bible says he does not find joy in anyone who turns away. He still loves you. He's still infatuated with you. Jesus' blood still covers your sins. So because God still loves you, I'm going to share the gospel one more time. We have one more hour, guys. I'm joking. I'm going to try to make this very clear. The reality of the situation is there is a very real eternity. Every one of us are eternal. We will live or we we will exist forever. We will exist forever after death. That's who you are. You are eternal because you're made in the image of God. You will exist forever. And how we spend eternity Well, it's your choice. The choice is yours. The quality of your eternity is entirely dependent on whether you are covered in Jesus' righteousness. If If you are, you get heaven. If you aren't, you get hell. But you will get one or the other. That's the reality. How do I get covered in Jesus' righteousness? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Jesus came. God Almighty became man. Then he died on a cross. And God the Father took all of the sin that has ever been committed, ever will be committed, and put it on Jesus, on the cross. He charged Jesus as if he were guilty of committing every sin. 
The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That means a pedophile. Guess what Jesus became on the cross? A pedophile. Sex offender. Jesus became a sex offender. Um, uh, A genocidal maniac. Jesus became that. You think of it, Jesus became that on the cross. God made him to become sin. And he put it on the cross. So Jesus died in your place for your sin. Then God took all the righteousness of Jesus, because Jesus never sinned, never has. And he took that right standing that, that God that he had. J- Jesus had the heavens over him. He had perfect relationship with the Father. And God took that, that righteousness, and then he has it for you and me. He has it ready to put on us when we accept Jesus as our Savior. Then Jesus, it gets better, raised from the dead three days later, setting us free from hell, the punishment of hell forever. Setting us free from death. We don't have to fear death. And setting us free from the grave. So isn't death and the grave the same thing? No, it's not. We, our physical bodies, will not remain in the earth. He's going to, those who are, are, are dead in Christ will rise first. He's going to resurrect these bodies and make them new. Just like he made us new, spiritually. So we're, we're free from eternity in hell because of his resurrection. We're free from eternity of death because of his resurrection. And we're free from our bodies remaining in the ground because of his resurrection. So how do I accept Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Simply. Believe that Jesus died on the cross. That he raised from the dead in victory. And that he is the son of God. You believe that, and in response to that, you say, God, because you are God, and you did all that for me, you have lordship. You you are king over my life. The Bible says, confess with your mouth that he is Lord. And believe in your heart, and you are saved. Jesus did all this not to give you heaven, though. He didn't give it. That's a, heaven is a byproduct of salvation. The whole reason Jesus did all this, came to earth, died, all that, is because he loves you and wants a relationship with you. He wants to bless you here on earth. He wants to bless you for eternity, but more importantly than all of that, he wants to know you, and he wants you to know him because he loves you. So what's our response? What's our response? I, I pray that I pray that we got spurred today. I pray that, that we don't walk out of here the same as we walked in. I pray that I pray that we choose. We choose to, to come to God together. We pray that we, we, we recognize our identity in him. I pray that we profess our faith in him to this world. What's our response? It's up to you. How you respond today is up to you. And a response is not measured by how much you cry at an altar. Don't get me wrong. I like good old-fashioned altar calls. I pray down here more than anyone else. This is my spot right here. I just lay out. I love it. You guys are more than welcome to use it. It probably smells salty. I love, I love snot-filled prayer times. Don't get me wrong. But the proof, 
that we've decided something today is when we walk out of this building and how we live in response to the word of God. That's the proof. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people cry their eyes out and then change a single thing. They felt emotional for a moment, but their emotions doesn't mean jack squat. Walk out of here with the word of God in your mind and be changed by the power of God in you. 